Um, I want to show some pictures before we jump into Second uh, Peter, and I've been working uh, with uh, our team connected to Myanmar, and uh, you know, despite the COVID and all the restrictions that all of us are feeling, right? And uh, if I can say it seems to get crazier as time goes on, and um, I'll share throughout the the uh, teaching this morning that uh, for myself, I've gone kind of ebb and flow with it. <laughs> times when I feel like, okay, I can see what God's doing, and other times where I get extremely frustrated. And, uh, you know, with some of the foolishness we see, and then just try to just mobilize our people that are ready, they're poised, ready to go in country, but there's so many different restrictions that we just have to wait. And uh, we've had a number of our members in Germany that are waiting, and hopefully this next couple weeks we can uh, move them into South Asia here. But, um, you know, in spite of all that, I think of the last verse in Acts, where it goes through and talks about all the battles that Paul has gone through. And that very last word says that he is in his, uh, is kind of uh, accosted in his apartment there for two years, right? But the last sentence says, but the gospel was unhindered. And uh, we're seeing that today, despite the challenges. And it's always been that way through church history. You know, there's always been difficulties, and uh, we're living very much in that. I think these are actually really good times for us because the U.S. has been very insulated from what's going on around the world, and uh, especially with the the, uh, stuff going on in Afghanistan, it's right in our face, at least for now. I'm sure we'll just move on to the next thing, and we forget how the rest of the world is having to live. So as we've been connecting with, uh, there's a lot I can't say in in this situation because there's a lot of political stress uh, in different countries, and particularly in Myanmar. I was in traveled around Myanmar a number of years ago, and uh, really cool opportunities because we know that there's kind of like a civil war going on there right now, and it's a unique government to where they do have like a prime minister, but the military is the one that has the authority. And, uh, you know, it's been almost a year that uh, they placed her uh, under arrest again. And uh, so it's going back. You remember, and probably you might not remember, but in the 1960s is when they said we're not having any, any Christian workers or missionaries coming in. And so when we first went over there is actually when the, there was like a crack in the door. And we said, man, let's see if we can get in here. And uh, so we've been involved and we're connected with the church. Anytime we do any type of humanitarian work, there's two things that we look for. Number one is, is there a church? Is there a church that we can connect with? And in the process of helping, does it push us further into the opportunities to present Christ to unreached people groups? And so uh, as I worked with uh, one of our members over there in the last month, We have been able to get supplies, and I just want to show you some pictures here. Um, I don't know how well you can see that a little bit dark, but uh, people fleeing, militaries coming in, and Myanmar is a bit unique because some of the large people groups have their own military as well, so uh, there's a lot of fighting going on, villages being burned, and so people are like getting out of the way. 
And, uh, you know, I, there, I don't have the, the particular, I just threw these in quickly this morning, but I have pit, pictures of people just living actually in caves uh, trying to get out of the way. But uh, these are uh, some of the members of the church. It was re- really a pretty difficult trip. And as I looked at it, I was excited because this whole thing has caused them to have to press into uncomfortable areas for the church as well. And uh, and so as we connect with the church, we've been very, very engaged with this particular church. And uh, they said, yeah, we've got connections and we think we can get this, these supplies up to the people that need it. And they had to, there was a lot of logistical stuff, but kind of how the people are living right now, just makeshift. And so we're providing, you know, anything just to build something to get them out of the weather, uh, medical uh, just the basic needs that uh, people would have. And uh, here's the supplies. We'll be making another run here uh, probably in about uh, a few weeks. But uh, it's a good reminder for us. You know, when we hear the stuff going on in Afghanistan, it's not just Afghanistan. You know, it's Myanmar, it's China, it's uh, Burkina Faso, it's Colombia, it's Mexico. And we could just go around and now, sometimes I'm looking at the whole, all these different places where we have our teams, and it's quite <clears throat> quite overwhelming. But in the midst of that, you know, again, we have the value of history. We, we could go back into history, and we see how faithful God is at working right in the midst of that situation. And uh, a lot of other really uh, cool things happening. We started this during the COVID era, what we call Equip Asia. And we have so many people that are asking us for the training that we provide for cross-cultural church planning. And so uh, we said, man, let's let's go ahead and just do a two-year program. Let's put it on. And uh, it's not an internet course because it is on the internet, but it's highly connective with people that we have on the ground. And so on a, on a weekly basis, we're connecting with them connecting with them in their own culture and uh, helping them process each week. And uh, so that's going really well. I just recently finished 12 hours of teaching. And so we film it and then post it. And, uh, you know, at the right time, they'll go through that part of the curriculum. So, um, yeah, so in the midst of that, it looks very different for us. You guys know I generally do a lot of international traveling, and I'm not right now. Uh, doing some domestic travel, but uh, you could very easily get hung up for a month's time if you go overseas. And so most of us that do that kind of travel are like, if we absolutely have to, of course, we'll do it. But uh, it's going to have to be pretty urgent before we we want to make that kind of a, a trip. Our folks, thankfully, they're going over more long-term, and they are able to go. Uh, they just have to find out what's the criteria as far as vaccination and testing and all that. And generally, they're having to go over quarantine either by the place it's designated or, you know, in Papua New Guinea, they're allowing us to actually go and uh, have our people quarantine right at one of our bases. So it allows us to keep going ahead. Okay, let us get into Second Peter. This was really timely for me. And I'll just say right from the start, we're not going to make it all the way through. And uh, I'll tell you why. It's because if I read some of these verses, and we are going to read them, 
We're so familiar with these verses that we skip right over the deep truths that are actually there. And so, and I was doing the same thing. I like, yeah, I memorize those verses. I've been there and back. And we just kind of, because we're so familiar with it, we just skip right over it. And actually, when I was going through this part, I happened to be at a low point. And so, you know, the more I got into it, I thought, man, there's like a, I feel like you're back in a semi here, just loaded with treasure. And so... Uh, we'll go as far as we can go this morning, and uh, because I just don't want us to miss. And I'll take the position of Peter, who wrote Second uh, uh, Peter here. And uh, if we look at um, uh, verse 12, First uh, Peter 1:12, it says, "For this reason, I won't be negligent to remind you always of these things, uh, though you." Uh, Though you know and you are established in the present truth. And I believe the audience that I'm speaking to here uh, this morning, I think you are grounded in these truths. But nonetheless, it's just a good reminder for us. Uh, I don't know about you, but I, it's, I, sometimes I get knocked off balance. And, uh, you know, just with stuff that's going on and, and life doesn't play out kind of how we thought it would. And uh, we have to make adjustments and to go back and anchor ourselves into God's truth. And that's what Peter's doing here. And uh, he said, you know what, I'm going to remind you of, of these things. Anytime we get into a, a start a book, I think it's really helpful for us to look at the background. And it's very easy for us to read. And we almost look like, you know, the the text was written in some kind of a, kind of a bubble, you know, and uh, we miss Actually, the context, the difficulties, and uh, the background of what was going on. And when you begin to understand that background, you realize, you know what, not so different than the days that we're living in today. And uh, I think that's really important. And when we look at the background, of course, we know at this particular era that Peter was writing uh, this letter, uh, they were going through incredible persecution. Uh, Nero was off his rocker, if I can say it that way. Uh, he was uh, adopted by Claudius when he was about 14 years old. He became the emperor when he was 17, and, and he was pretty wacky in his thinking. And uh, he rated, he, he, he seemed to connect well to the kind of the common people, but as time went, uh, just unbridled evil, unbridled uh, uh, lack of discipline, and uh, it really began to, uh, of course, affect the whole empire that was it was the world empire at the time, right? And uh, and so, <clears throat> as we continue to read, just because I'm not going to get this far, uh, we'll see. Well, let's go through the notes here. By the way, I used <laughs> I used PowerPoint because. I'll get off on rabbit trails all the time, and so I hope you don't mind. But uh, written around 65 A.D., and if you remember, that's also the time that the Apostle Paul was in prison as well, his last time. And so both Paul and Peter recognize that their days are numbered, and, and they're well aware of that. And uh, it's very similar to that context in Second Timothy and they knew that, uh, you know, that this was probably their last letter. Uh, Paul made that very clear to Timothy, uh, very uh, 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 
a sensitive and a, a intimate letter that he was writing to, to uh, Timothy there in uh, the last letter. Why these letters are so important is because our last words, we're speaking those things that are really on our hearts, right? And, uh, you know, when you're at the, somebody's deathbed and, you know, they're not talking about the weather and stuff. They're talking about the things that really are core values in their life. And that's what we see in in, uh, in both Second Peter and uh, in Second Timothy as well. Um, it's interesting that Second Peter is probably the most disputed book uh, in the New Testament as far as our authorship. I really don't know why. He claims to be the author. The early church fathers recognize him. We have uh, Peter's testimony that say, look, I was with Christ at the end of chapter 1. He says, look, I was with Christ at the Mount of Transfiguration. He said, so he says, the things that I'm saying, I'm not, I'm not giving secondhand stuff. I was there. I saw it. And so there's a lot of indications that help us to understand that, uh, that uh, you know, Second Peter was written by Peter himself. <clears throat> Along with the epistle of Jude, Second Peter is the most graphic and a perpetuating, a perpetuating, penetrating, sorry, expose of false teaching in Scripture, and uh, very graphic. I'm not going to get into who has you have chapter two. I won't go there, David. <laughs> but very graphic in First Peter. We kind of learned that the warning was from you know false teaching from without, right? Second Peter, we're going to see now the false teaching is actually from within. It's interesting, Second Timothy also. In Second Timothy, Paul is telling Timothy, look, I know it's really difficult to confront uh, false teaching, but as a leader, you must, you must uh, wade in and deal with false teaching. And so we see Peter doing the same thing and uh, giving very specific warning. Peter living under the final years of Nero's reign, and he's identifying. He's identifying with those that are suffering as well. And at the time, we know that uh, Peter is in prison, and uh, seems like he's in prison in Rome. And a lot of discussion there. Say, why would Peter go to Rome? He didn't know the language, and he functioned more in present-day Turkey. And uh, But the thought is that he was captured probably in Turkey and taken to Rome and crucified there. Second Peter and Jude actually should be discussed together since they have so many similarities. And, of course, we're not going to do that. We won't have time to do that. But I did want to throw this up. I'm not going to read it point by point, but I do want you to see that there's the similarities between the book of Jude and, uh, and also Second Timothy. And here lies a little bit of the dispute as far as who's the author. Some of the dispute of the authorship of Second uh, Timothy or Second Peter has to do with uh, kind of a lot of different Greek uh, than First uh, Peter was, and so it was like it had to be written by somebody else. Oh, it could have been somebody else that just spoke a little bit different Greek, but was still taking it from Paul. I'm sorry, Peter. Taking it from Peter. So uh, what I want to do is uh, let's actually, we're going to read kind of the, the key blocks, if we can do that. And uh, we'll read the first four, four verses, and then we'll go back and say, okay, 
Let's talk about those verses. So this is the new uh, King James Version here. So it starts out, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. As his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So Peter identifies himself. It's interesting. If you look at first Peter, he doesn't use the name Simon. He just uses Peter. But on this one, he says Simon Peter. And of course, Simon was his original name, right? And Peter was a name that Christ gave him. And uh, I think why that's important is Peter recognized where he came from. And uh, as I thought about that, I, I thought, the Apostle Paul, no less than six times when you study his letters, he he just goes, he starts telling how he met Christ. And uh, that was always precious to Paul. He never forgot where he came from. And I think that's so important for us as well, that it's healthy for us to just go back and say, man, remember, I wonder what life would look like for me without Christ today. I wonder where I would be living. I wonder what I would be doing. I wonder actually if I'd still be alive. <laughs> I wonder what my family would look like. What kind of choices even would be made within my family? What? And it's just good. And I tell you what, it doesn't take long. And what I want us to see today is despite the things that we see around us, that God gives us an anchor point to where we shouldn't be just kind of uh, you know, bumped by circumstances as he wants to ground us in who he is and in truth. And uh, here Paul, uh, Peter is very much uh, ref- uh, going back to that. He, Peter refers to himself as a servant and an apostle. And in Galatians chapter 2, Paul recognized Peter as an apostle as well. Let's look at it real quick. I, I think uh, it's important for us here uh, Galatians chapter 2 verse 7 it says but on the contrary when they saw that uh, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised has been uh, committed to me and the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter of course we know that right for he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also uh, worked effectively and me uh, towards the Gentiles. And so, uh, you know, we know the, the different disputes that uh, Peter and Paul had. And uh, there were times when there was some pretty sharp discussion between them. And uh, we also know that Paul, uh, Peter refers to that and I think highly respects uh, those conversations. It was the beginning of the early church. There was a lot of transition uh, in the church. And, uh, you know, the kind of the core thing is, what of the old uh, Jewish culture and those things need to be brought over? And uh, so that's what uh, they were, were uh, had discussed about when you look at the book of Acts. I think it's chapter 14 and 15. 
Okay, the book was written to those who obtain like precious faith with us. It's written to the same audience as the first letter was when you look at it. And uh, I like this term here. It was written to anybody that obtained the same precious faith. And that faith kind of is the the uh, the whole body of truth, okay, and including salvation. And so, you know, anybody that would receive this letter, it's relevant for them. And that would include us as well. We have received the, uh, the like precious faith. Uh, <clears throat> of course, that came by the righteousness of God and the Savior, Jesus Christ. And uh, it wasn't anything that we did. Uh, it wasn't any merit of our own that we recognize the salvation that we have, you know, comes right from uh, the very righteousness of uh, Jesus Christ as we celebrated uh, earlier in the, in the service. Then he moves into this phrase, and this is where I say a lot of times we read these uh, uh, in introductions and we skip over them, but it says grace and peace be multiplied. And um, I, I like the order right there, and I want to read some verses because the order is very important. It wasn't just a kind of a casual greeting, but we recognize, no, this was inspired. And uh, in Romans 5, when we think of grace and peace, that's the first verse that comes to my mind. At Romans 5, 1, it says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace now with God. And we know the first uh, four chapters of Romans, where he brings the first two, uh, actually two and a half chapters, where Paul brings us to a very uh, methodical a, a teaching to help us to see that, it, you know what, we can't be good enough. Uh, there's no righteousness of our own, and it's solely by Christ's work alone. And then we get in chapter 5, and, he, and this verse here, Therefore, based on everything that Christ has done, okay, his grace, now we have peace with God. And, uh, of course, we know grace being unmarried, there's nothing that we could do for it, right? It was Christ and God that reached into our life, and there was no good thing in us, and it was his work. And this word peace actually means that um, it's a binding or joining together something that has been broken. Of course, we know what was broken was that, that relationship with God, right? And that, that's what sin did all the way in Genesis chapter 3, that, uh, you know, that union with God was, was broken. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know how many times that, that you've gotten up in the morning. And, and again, this is something that we become so used to and accustomed to, but, you know, the peace that we have with God now, if we would dwell and, and, and you know, in our hearts that we would be thankful for that that uh, you can talk to a lot of, we have so many neat opportunities in a neighbor. Uh, I was traveling this week. I'll talk a little bit about that. But, uh, you know, Deb was on the phone and she said, there's this couple that I would say we would never have chance chance to connect with them just because of some of their values and that. But uh, as Deb was talking to this lady, she just threw out, you know, just really concerned about Afghanistan and stuff going on. And then she made the comment, it almost seems like the end of the world. And it's like, okay, that's a pretty cool opening, right? 
So, of course, Deb jumped into that, and, uh, you know, we hope we're praying for, you know, just the opportunity to have some Bible studies with these people that's living around us. But there's no peace. You talk to people, and they're very unsettled. And we hear the phrase, we've heard it before, right, where the secular world sees the world falling apart, right? And believers should see the world falling in place. And we see stuff falling in place that's moving us exactly what God was saying. And if I can say, it's going to get worse. And I think we need to understand that it's going to get worse. And all the more so as we have opportunity like this, that we should cherish it and really dive deep into our understanding of who Christ is. Second uh, Corinthians 8, 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he, that though he was rich, yet for his sake he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Second Thessalonians 3.16 Now the Lord of peace himself give you peace always by all means. What a tremendous promise that we have peace always by all means. And uh, <clears throat> I'm going to have to keep going here. Now, the means of that comes how? It comes through the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a really interesting phrase, and this, by the way, is a key word. It's Paul, Peter says, uh, he talks about remembrance. I'm going to bring to remembrance. And uh, then a key word that you're going to see, if you're taking notes, this is the key word, is knowledge. And uh, let me just put the five verses out here. Just in Second Peter, uh, grace and peace be multiplied to you. How? In the knowledge of God and our, of uh, Jesus our Lord. Second Peter 1.3, all things that pertain to life and godliness, how? Through the knowledge of him. Second Peter 1.8, you will neither be barren or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 2.20, escape the pollution of the world, how? Through the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 3.18, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want us to look at that word knowledge. Again, it's so easy for us to go, okay, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I know about that. Uh, but to really, for us to, to look into, what, is it, what does this actually mean? And uh, epinosis is the, the Greek word, and you'll see that it's from the word Gnostic, right? And Gnosis, which we know to be knowledge. And actually, that knowledge isn't just surface knowledge either. That knowledge talks about experiential knowledge. But then Peter even expands that and say, no, we're even talking about deeper than that. So it's not just absorbing facts. And we're going to see that Peter is really a practical guy. And uh, he's going to take us right down into, okay, here's the truth. And when we talk about knowledge, what are you going to do with that knowledge? And he's going to lead us into that. And all, all people start with, all believers start with the knowledge of God, right? Because they've, they've recognized their, their uh, separation uh, of God, with God because of the sin. And uh, they recognize that Christ is, is the only one that can mediate between them and God and, and the work of Christ, the finished work of Christ. So all Christians have a knowledge. 
But Peter's saying, you know what? You have to go way beyond that. And sometimes we said, oh, yeah, I've taken that step of faith. It's not a step of faith. It's a walk. It's a continued step into the knowledge. I tell you what, that's why Deb and I so appreciate the fellowship here is, is the first service. Guess what? We just focus on who the person and work of Christ and uh, the value and the, the uh, tremendous opportunity that we have. And uh, that's where our focus should be, is, is exactly right on that. <clears throat> okay, this knowledge conveys a thought that is fuller, larger, and a whole lot more thorough. Okay, so again, it's not, uh, I remember being in Bible school, and you move from class to class to class, and you're doing assignments, and, you know, your head just gets packed, you know, with all this, this knowledge, but you don't get a lot of it it's, takes time to experience that, right? And uh, so that's what Peter is telling us. He's talking about a full and comprehensive knowledge of God's will that rests on the knowledge of God and of Christ found today in his word. And all of us could be so appreciative that God's word is relevant for today. And the uh, key word so it's no by experience, okay? And let me just read some of these uh, verses in uh, Ephesians 1.17. And this is the same word. Uh, so that you may know him better. You see that there's a progressive. You're going deeper into the knowledge. Uh, the knowledge of, our, uh, of the Son of God. More and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Asking God to fill you. You see, you see all the, the, the context of the sentence is, uh, it isn't just a head knowledge here. Yeah, it starts with that, but then it's an outworking of that, a growing in the knowledge of God in order that you may know the mystery of God, namely uh, Christ. And so that is the knowledge that we're talking about. Okay, and so he goes into the next verse. Um, <clears throat> it says... Uh, as his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us. See, there's a second one, two verses in a row, uh, called us by glory and virtue. Now, that's the verse that we can read and we could just bump across. We say, cool, Lord, give me all things that pertain to life and godliness. But if we can just dig into that a little bit and say, okay, what does that actually mean? And, and I had to do that. And so we look at the Greek, which is zoe, which means the absolute fullness of life. Listen, as believers, we shouldn't just be clinging on and surviving. When I talk to different people, and I have my turn too, to where I'm like, yeah, I'm just surviving for the day. That's not where God wants us to be. You know, that he gives us a life that's absolutely full. And remember, he says that I came to give life and give it abundantly. And it's a genuine life, the way God intended for man to live, the way Adam and Eve lived in harmony. That's the kind of life he's talking about. You know, not a life that just gets consumed with the circumstances around us. And uh, <clears throat> and we see that he freely gives us too. You know, we have a God that just wants to give. Uh, I'm doing a Bible study through the through the book of Genesis and as we looked at the first two chapters, you can't miss the fact that God is a God that wants to give, and he gives freely. 
And one of the comments that was made was, you know, at the end of chapter 2, and it says that God made everything, and everything was good. And I think five or six times there, he says everything was good. It, he created, and he said, and it was good. And, and, and it was good by God's standard, right? Uh, the perfect standard. And then he, it wasn't just like that, but it was like he gathered all this goodness together in, in, in one place, the garden. And he said, said uh, Adam and Eve right in that garden. And we talked a lot about that, you know, that Adam and Eve could have just gone around in the world and it would have been good because everything was good. And yet God brought everything together in that garden. And you see that we have a giving God. It's good for us to remember that we have a God that wants to give. Um, Then he says godliness given by his divine power. Godliness means godlikeness. And I had a chance to walk in the reality of that this week. I flew over to uh, Missouri this week. I, uh, there's no way I'm going to have enough time. But um, I got on a plane, and they held us for an hour in Orlando, saying there was a storm in Dallas. Okay. So then we took off after that hour. We got to Dallas, and it was still closed. So the pilot says, hey, we got an hour of fuel. We'll just kind of circle around up here. And uh, so after that hour of circling around Dallas, he says, still not open. we got to go to Austin. So 130 miles or whatever it was, and we went to Austin, sat on a tarmac there for four hours. And um, I was struggling with God-likeness. <laughs> Anytime somebody gets up here to teach, you know, God takes them into experiencing those same things. But uh, I like what the uh, one author says, that it's like glow-in-the-dark Christians, that that's what... God gives us tremendous truth. We're going to see that. He gives us tremendous truth, but it's not for us to hoard. He wants to see that outworking in our life so that we become Christ-like. Romans 8.29, conform us to his image. Uh, Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven. So here we are being conformed into his image. So stand fast in the Lord. So godliness is practical and relevant for our lives today, right? And then he talks about divine power. And this is another thing that we, again, could read it and we go, wow, that's, that's uh, yeah, we know that God gave that. But I want us to see what that power actually is. If you study the first couple chapters in Ephesians, one of the things you constantly see is that God gave us according to, and then you see multiple promises in there. If you look at the meaning of that according to, it doesn't mean that he gives a little portion out of what he has. That means he gives a portion equal to what he has. So we have a God that's given, uh, giving. And so when we look at the power, he's not eking us a little bit of power just so we can barely get by. If we do, if we respond right, well, he's given just that enough battery power so we can make it to that. It's not like that at all. Let's look at the word, what he talks about here. This is the same word, Matthew 6:13. Lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Now that power, it wouldn't be just a little bit, right? No, it's the everything that God is. Um, <clears throat> 
Luke 1, 38, uh, 35. And the angel answered and said to her, Mary, the Holy Spirit shall come upon you and the power of the highest shall overshadow you. That's the power that we have. Luke 22, uh, 69. From now on, the Son of Man shall sit at the right hand of the power of God. Does that, does that look like it's limited in any way? It doesn't. It's the full power the full divine power that God gives us to live a godly life. Revelation 4.11, O Lord, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you created all things. Uh, You know what? I have to keep going. Divine powers to be partakers of the divine nature. Ephesians 4.13, until we have all reached unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, as we mature to the full measure of the stature of Christ. There's the goal. There's the goal that he has regarding a divine life. And he calls us into that. He mentions that in that. That call is the invitation. Another, and we're going to get into, if we have time here, we're getting, we're going to get into the fact that, you know what? This is what I've done. Okay. Now this is how you need to respond to that. It's very similar to what we see in Paul's letters, right? First three chapters of Ephesians, theological truth just piled on one upon the other one. And then you get to chapter four, and what does he say? Okay, since you have all these things, now walk worthy of the vocation by which you are called. And this is what we see that Peter's saying the same thing. And so actually this is a word that we see and we already saw it in first peter he uses it four times he's we're called out of the darkness into his marvelous light called to follow christ in a pathway of suffering called to return a blessing for a reviling called to his eternal glory called by his glory and excellence and so in the in the whole cycle here you see that first we started with the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what happens? It produces grace and peace. Okay. Then seeing that divine power in abundance is giving for the attainment, it should move us towards godliness. It should move us. And of course, all this is by his glory and his virtue. Uh, virtue. Um, <clears throat> I'm getting, oops, faster. Um I'm not going to take you through 250 promises in the New Testament. Actually, there's more than that. I think there's seven or 800 promises that are made uh, to us throughout the old and the new. But I do want to hit the button here. And if this is all the further we get, I'm fine with that. But uh, for me, this was a really good exercise. And uh, I actually, I think it would be healthy for us to print these up and put it on our door before we go out. Because when you look at everything that God has given, so that we could, again, these things are given, the promises are given, so that we can lead godly lives in a world that's extremely corrupt. And uh, so let's just look at these. Okay, that's only 43 of them. (laughs) When I did this, I really needed it. And I tell you what, when I went in my car to go home, I felt like I was ready to tackle the world. (laughs) And that's how we should feel. We should keep our hearts and minds right here. And we shouldn't be drifting. We shouldn't. My biggest concern for our organization is don't lose focus. Don't lose focus. God is doing a work. 
And we can't get consumed with this stuff that oh, we already know. God said, listen, it's not going to get better. But don't keep your mind focused there. Don't let it rattle you because that's not where your citizenship is anyway. Keep focused on these promises right here. Uh, <clears throat> Moody, it, Moody has a Bible, and it's probably on display somewhere, but you could go through his pages, and, and by, there's a lot of promises that he just put TP, and uh, it means tried and proven. And uh, throughout his life, when he hit those difficult areas, and he claimed, took God at his promise and said, you know what, God, I'm going to claim you. I'm going to stand on this promise right here. And uh, you know what, God is always faithful. And uh, I stand here pretty rebuked by the Holy Spirit. Many times we go through life, and we're not even aware of these promises that he gives us. And he said, guys, this is like, this is our treasure chest right here, you know, that we should be anchored into this. Not so consumed with fake news out there. We don't even know what truth is. Well, we do know what truth is, right? But if we were to get it from media, we'd be in deep trouble. And uh, But that's not where our anchor point, that's not where God wants us to focus. And I ran out of time, and I'm just going to quit right there. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much. Lord, The uh, you didn't just save us, but Lord, you, you equipped us, uh, Lord, to become more like your son, and, and we inherit with the son. And Lord, you don't just give us, you don't just eke out a portion uh, to us, uh, but Lord, just the tremendous, tremendous uh, wealth that you give us. Lord, we are, uh, we can't deny the fact that we're living in days that become more unstable by the week, and we see things moving rapidly toward the things that you've talked about that... uh, Help us to see that your time is, is very close. Lord, I pray that we'll keep our hearts and minds stayed on you and look for opportunities for those people around us that have no peace. And Lord, we, we have opportunity to share with them. And they people are rattled. And people are seeing it. They can't deny it. And uh, whatever they think their security was before, it's deteriorating. And Lord, we should be walking uh, Lord, in the security of yourself, they should see the stableness in our own hearts, the peace that we have. And Lord, I pray that we'll be sensitive uh, to those opportunities. But Lord, thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to put this last slide up here, and then I'm not sure if we're going to sing a song or whatever, but you can read that as well. Thank you.